Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Here we go, here we go. It's another episode of Believe in Horse Racing with Ken Rudolph, and I am Ken Rudolph. I want to thank everyone at the Believe Podcast Network for helping us put this together. And you can find this podcast in any platform that you find the interesting things that you like to listen to. I appreciate all of the people who have uh, subscribed, who have uh, rated and reviewed our work as we continue moving forward and as our conversation continues to evolve. This week, man... This week <laughs> was crazy. Let's set it up. Let's just get right into it. Race, racism, and horse racing. With everything that's happening in our country and has been happening for the past month or so, it is now the topic that's on the top of everyone's mind. Or is it? Right? Or is this just another one of those moments in our history in this country where we have this little bubble, this little uprising? We're on our best behavior. We feel like we're working together. And then six months later, everything falls right back to where it was. Race in this country and racism in this country is what this country is built upon. We already know that. It's how this country functions. I don't need to give you a history lesson. We don't have time for that. What's happening right now is the country, and what I mean by this country, I mean specifically white people are being forced to stop and look at what we have built. Look at what we have done together as a nation of people. This is what we have created together. But it is white establishment that put together the blueprint, the infrastructure, the roadmap to what we have built and where we are right now. At the same time, Minorities have also been complicit in our own way, sometimes involuntarily and sometimes absolutely voluntarily. And so it is that type of environment and scenario that brings us to where we are right now. So I'm going to start with why I, Ken Rudolph, am so aggressive about the push for equality and inclusion, not just in our entire world, but in this industry that we all work in, horse racing. The industry that was started on the backs of black labor. Everything in this country is built by black people. And for the longest time, I, I didn't wanna make those statements because what does that statement do? That statement makes every single white person on the planet close up. Not me. Okay, maybe not you as an individual, but definitely people who look like you set up the system to benefit people who look like you. 
And if you never said anything, you're complicit. And anyone that I know in horse racing, if you've spoken to me for five minutes, you know how I feel. I told you from day one. And so my whole problem with being at TVG, they gave me this opportunity and they brought me in from the outside. And from the first moment I walked into the meetings at TVG, I noticed that I was going to be the only black person on air. Okay, that's cool. I got no problem with that to start, right? To start, I got no problem with that. 21 years ago, we start this network. You choose people that are of diverse backgrounds. We had different kinds of people, men and women from different places. And you chose me to represent one part of our demographic. I get that. But the only sport in this country, listen to me, the only sport in this country that was started off the backs of black labor is horse racing. The only sport in this country where the first stars were black men. And those men were run out of this country. Think about this. Isaac Murphy is one of the greatest jockeys ever. And there was a point where when he was riding, he would look over and see slaves black men who looked like him in a pen. And their future was determined and dictated by whatever he did on the back of that horse. Think about how that messes with you as a black man. Think about that. So I looked around at that room and I said, okay, that's fine. Because I had gone to the track and I saw so many different people and a lot of them were black. And I had done my research and I was like, well, black people started this. So I should stay here to show black people that, hey, this is a place for us. So that's what I set out to do the first 12 years. Now think about this still, I'm still the only black man. This is 12 years, I'm, still, I'm the only black man doing this, all right? And then somebody will say to me, oh, well, don't forget about Brian Cox. I'm like, yes, at the end of the day, Brian Cox was another black man doing racing with me. But Brian Cox was a successful professional athlete who had owned horses with some friends at the track in Miami. He was a Super Bowl champion and an all-pro. So he does not need to be there. He's there because he wants to have fun. That's not the same as giving an opportunity to just another horse player out there who just happens to be black. And I know that there are people that your number one thing will be, well, why should we do that? Shouldn't the best person get the job? Yes, they should. But that's not how it works. And you know it. And so anyone who says that to me, that shows me that not only are you hiding behind this assumed Jim Crow law granted privilege, you want that. You want that. You want to always feel and appear as though you are always given the benefit of the doubt 
as a white person and always given the first shot at an opportunity. Meanwhile, in this sport that you're saying, well, the best person should get the job, everyone getting the jobs are related to other people. Nepotism. Now think about this. If a sport that is so great in this country is started by black people, black men, why did racing go to such great lengths to erase all of that? Sure, the name of the trophy for the outstanding jockey every year is the Isaac Murphy Award. Yeah, but when you're giving that award out, you don't talk about all of the things that Isaac Murphy went through. When you go to any track in this country, they do not show you that history. It's all been erased, or should I say, whitewashed. And so doing that is an obvious way to remove the painful part of this sport's history. And that pain is felt by black people. Now, understand me, there are other minority races within the horse racing world that may also feel slighted. But there is no one that has the history in this country that black people do. I didn't say people of color because that's different. Black people are specific. There is no other group of people where they wrote laws specifically to deny you your rights, your freedom, and your services. Only black people. It's the only group. Now, people will come along and say things that are distorted throughout history. Irish people will say, well, Irish immigrants were slaves too. No, you weren't. You were indentured servants. That is different. Indentured servitude was a pathway to citizenship. It wasn't pleasant. It was horrible. But at the end of that, you knew you were going to be granted citizenship in this country, the land of the free. But black people were put into slavery. And then every time the U.S. government decided they were going to actually do something, it was always half-assed. That's why Juneteenth is a huge celebration. Because while everyone was emancipated supposedly on the 13th, it took forever for that word to get to the black slaves. But even after that, the people who were given land and property, that was taken by white mobs. So the history in this country of disregarding black people, their lives, and stealing their wealth and their ideas has been since day one. So here we are in a sport, a grand old sport that's been around for two centuries here in this country. And we have absolutely no representation of the diversity that started this whole thing. So 12 years into TV, I'm still the only black man that the industry of all powerful old white men have decided they're going to give a chance to. Okay, that's great. But here comes the lack of equality. 
Because anything that I say that upsets an old white man comes back to me and my boss calls me in and say, hey, cool it on that. So we all have freedom of speech in this country. We supposedly have equality. But if I, as a black man, an oppressed individual, say anything that might make you, as the powerful white man, uncomfortable, I am the one who is silenced. And I don't even say anything offensive. Let's go back. There was a devastating earthquake in Haiti. And every single corporation in America gave money to Haiti earthquake relief. Every industry, every corporation, except for one. Horse racing. The one that probably employs more individuals of Haitian descent or immigrants who came from Haiti than any other industry in this country. Jamaicans and Haitians are incredibly devoted to horses and they're really smart. So all I did, we didn't have Twitter back then. We had a mandated chat room, a TVG horse player chat room where we had to go and be a part of that and participate. It was mandated by the corporate office. So I'm like, okay. And so we go there and every minute of every day we are harassed and insulted. Fine. We have to take that, they say. Okay. So then we're doing our Eclipse Awards on TVG. Kenny Rice is the host. And this is happening at the exact same time we've got all these things going on. They make jokes about Tiger Woods. And that offended me as the only black man to even be a part of that. And I said, while we're making jokes about Tiger Woods, it'd be nice if the only industry that actually employs the majority of Haitians would make a statement or even care about what's happening to the people in Haiti. Is that an inflammatory statement? Is that an instatement? Is that a statement that's asking for some sort of violent revolution? No, that's me expressing how I felt. I got called into the office by my boss the very next day. You can't do that. I'm like, why not? Well, that makes people uncomfortable. It offended them. Think about that for a second. Think about that when you, you put that next to what's happening now and how when white people want to protest, that's all done in the name and the interest of the U.S. Constitution and their freedom. Their freedom. They're free to say and do whatever they want. They want to their right to bear arms. They want to walk the street with an AK-47. They can do that, I guess. Even in news reports, they don't call them out. I saw a news report where there was a militia, right? They called them a civilian-appointed armed protest. Civilian-appointed? Come on, man. So it's all hypocrisy everywhere we go. And I lived in that for 12 years. And when you're the only one that's doing that, you don't feel like you can say anything. You don't feel like you can do anything. So they try to keep me in that box.
Anytime I try to express myself and have some fun, they want to put me back in that box. So after a while, you get to a point where you're like, okay. And I'm going to tell you right now when everything changed for me. Giacomo in 2005 was fantastic. You've all seen my reaction. My reaction is the base and the intensity of a black man who's been denied the chance to learn, the chance to show that I'm growing and I'm trying. When that happened, I felt like every single person in horse racing should have been like, that's the way you do it. You learn from people sitting next to you. And then when you think you have enough information and you think you have the perfect scenario, you step out and you say, I like this horse at 50 to one. And when you win, it's the greatest thing that will ever happen. They didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know what to do. They didn't want to promote it. Think about it. They treated me as a joke. They didn't start promoting that Giacomo thing until I left. When I left in 2011, all of a sudden, now they're running the Giacomo thing every year to get people to sign up. But when I was there, they did not know what to do with me. And that's because of the management at that time. The management at that time at TVG was absolutely racist. I have told them to their faces. That management is not there anymore. This is how I live my life. I stand up and I say to you, that's not right. So after Giacomo, the very next year, my father died. And I realized I was not being the man that he raised me to be. I wasn't standing up. I wasn't extending my hand to my brother. And that's important. Because when you're the only one that's doing something, you can't sit there and act like you're a unicorn and you're special. The only thing that's special is the opportunity that you've been granted. Because I really thought that I was special. And I remember when there were other black horse players and I felt like they were jealous of me. Like, why does that brother get to do this and I don't? And my stupid arrogance, I was like, cause I'm better than you. And that's crap, cause I'm not. I'm not better than any black person. I'm better than everybody. White, black, Mexican, Japanese, I'm better than all of you. That's the way I look at it. Because of the way that I live my life and what I stand for. So after my father passed, I was like, I'm not gonna bow down to any of this anymore. The only man I'm afraid of is gone. So I'm like, all right. And so I start trying to open up some more. Try to talk to people more. And then a couple years after that, for someone who asked me, hey, won't you show me any examples of racism in horse racing? 
This is the beautiful thing that white people do when you mention this. They want to confuse you, right? So they say, hey, give me an example. How insulting is that? You know the history of our country. You know everything that happens. And you're going to ask me to give you examples. That's a stalling tactic, and that's used to undermine everything we're doing. Because if I give you one example, guess what you're going to say? You're going to say that's one example. And then you're going to ask me for another one. It's a slippery slope and a rabbit hole that I don't want to get into. But the amazing thing about what happens in horse racing is that they can be racist and they have never been called on it. One of the most racist things I've ever seen is the fact that any owner of thoroughbreds can put the Confederate flag on the back of their jockey silks. There has never been a moment where I was more upset with horse racing, where I felt bad for a jockey, than when I saw Kerwin John riding a horse into the winner's circle for Jeff Mullins, and the owner was Mr. Robinson, and he had Confederate flag on the silks. And I knew that that brother, being from St. Croix, Virgin Islands, didn't know what that meant here in America. And I said it on the microphone, that doesn't belong here. Get that out of here. Nobody supported me. My boss told me to stop saying that. The man who owned the silks cornered me at a Breeders' Cup party and said, hey man, you need to take it easy on me. I said, you need to get rid of those silks. And I turned around and walked away. The Confederate flag is the symbol of hate that this country is built upon. When I was younger in Sacramento, California, and a pickup truck full of white guys drove past me and my friends and yelled the N-word, we stopped and said, F you. They stopped their truck, turned around. And that was the first time I saw the Confederate flag on the back of that truck. And they started chasing us. And we ran home, me and my four friends. When we got home, my father's like, what's wrong with you guys? And we told my father. My father was the coach. He coached the football team and the baseball team. Pop Warner and Little League, he won championships in both. It was the only time I saw my father pick up his rifle and his shells. He grabbed my older friend, who was three years older than us and said, let's go. I have never been more frightened in my life. When my father came home, I was so happy. I was happy he was home and happy that he wasn't hurt and that he didn't hurt somebody else. That stuff's in my mind all the time. So when I'm going to the tracks and I see Confederate flags flying above the track, I see Confederate flags out there on the trucks that are in the parking lot. And then you're going to have the audacity to put the Confederate flag on the back of a black jockey in a sport that black men created as slaves. They were forced to do this. But when I tell you, please don't do that, you're going to look at me like I'm wrong. So here we are. That happened. And I said, I'm out. I can't deal with this anymore.
I don't want to be a part of this. So in 2011, I bounced because I'm lucky to have options. I have a journalism degree. So I was lucky to say, okay, I can go do something else. I think I want to host and anchor a morning show and anchor the news. So I went to Sacramento to do that for eight years. It was hard because I worked on two different stations in the morning and then in the afternoon I did a three-hour sports talk show. It was fun, but it was hard. So then I'm watching horse racing the whole time and I'm supporting my friends at TVG and I'm just watching the way the sport's playing out. And then when I decide I don't want to do the news anymore, I decide, what do I want to do? What's fun? Man, there's nothing on the planet that's more fun than horse racing. Not one thing. So I came back to TVG. But I made my demands absolutely clear to the new management. I am not going to sublimate. I am not going to acquiesce. And I am not going to accept any second-class status that you will try to give me or my people. Somebody heard me say it one day when I was upset and I was about to leave TVG. And it was a moment that I am not proud of. But I said it anyway. I was really upset with our management and they said something to me and I was like, I've had it with you. I'm done with you. And I walked away. And I screamed at the top of my lungs. I'm Ken fucking Rudolph. I won't let you take away my integrity. I won't let you take away my identity. I am a strong black man. I want you to see that I am a black man, acknowledge that my journey might be different than yours and act accordingly. Don't talk to me about things being equal. They're not. If they were equal, I would not be the only black man doing this on television. Now that brings us to this week. This week, I challenged and I questioned another individual about their, it's not about their heritage. It wasn't about their race. It was about how they are carrying that, how they are living. Being Black's not just about how you look, it's how you live. I live black all day, every day. The first thing they called me at TVG was the black guy. The black guy on TVG. The black guy over there wants this. The black guy over there thinks that. Okay, you don't think that's insulting? All right, that's fine. That's totally fine. But when I came back, my whole purpose was I'm going to find black horse players. Because when I came here, 
and started at TVG. And the first time I went to Aqueduct, man, those Jamaicans were all over me. And they were relentless, unrelenting, challenging my manhood, my blackness, my intellect, whether I wanted to even be here and do this, and whether I could. And that didn't even offend me. Because I've grown up with black people challenging each other on how we go about achieving freedom, equality, justice. If you don't think that black people in the black community challenge each other on a daily basis, you are crazy and wrong. We put more pressure on ourselves and each other than the white establishment could ever do. That's how I was raised. My father's like, you need to be better. And I'm going to put you through the fire so that when you get out of my house, you're ready to face all that nonsense out there. When I left my father's house, I went straight to the U.S. Army. And that was easier. You hear me? That was easier in the U.S. Army than it was growing up with my military father. But that made me ready for everything that you might try to throw at me. You can't stop me because I know who I am. I'm a black man. I represent all day long. There is no scenario in which I will let anyone make a statement or a comment or any kind of a joke about a minority, especially a black individual, and I'm just going to sit there and let it go. Not going to happen. It's about how you carry yourself. So if you're in this industry, this is an industry where everybody handicaps. You know how many smart handicappers there are? You know how many great horse players there are? It's not the 16 people that you see on TV. Man, there are so many incredible people, black, white, Asian, Mexican, women. It doesn't matter. There are kids that can handicap. But yet when you turn on the television, all you see are the same people. So my thing has always been, if you're telling me that you can find, and I love these people, but understand what I'm saying. If you're telling me you can find a Todd Shrupp and a Matt Carruthers, these are guys that aren't born into the sport. They went to the track and never left. They figured it out. So you're telling me that you can't find black people that have done the same thing just in the name of diversity. Just so you say, yes, we want you all. But you say that, but you don't want us all. If you did, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But there's a whole thing. It's wrapped up in the good old boy, Southern heritage. It's all wrapped up into horse racing. So now we get to the point where I'm asking for equality and inclusion in horse racing. Right? You saw that on Twitter. Everybody went crazy. A lot of them for the wrong reason. But a lot of people understood me and they supported me. And I appreciate that. I don't give you any extra credit because that's what you're supposed to do because what I'm talking about is right. I don't give you extra credit because you decide with your white privilege, you know what? I think he may have a point. Man, I don't care. Either you're with me or you're not. And it's not just me. When I say me, I mean all of us. 
trying to move forward. So you want to talk about a movement, right? So here we are trying to, to make this change in horse racing and everybody's coming with the same stuff. Oh, well, let's come up with a scholarship plan or a program, or maybe they should all be in the University of Arizona track maintenance, uh, management program. Really? Okay. Tell me how many people who work at the tracks right now in managerial positions went to that school and went through that program. Maybe a handful. When I started in horse racing and I went to these little tracks and I saw these, man, come on, these scrubby, scrappy looking people. I'm like, did you even, you didn't even clean your pants today and here you are track management. You've got stuff all over your tie and all over your face and you're in charge of the track. So I'm like, okay, I know plenty of black people and Mexican people that could do that. How come they don't work here? But you'll say, oh, you're all welcome. Do you know what welcome means? Welcome doesn't just mean you open the door. Welcome is something that is intentional. A welcome has a couple of different definitions, right? Welcome is a manner of greeting someone or making someone welcome, right? Receiving them. So when you say maybe you have a company or a, or a place and you say, a, a guest with disabilities are welcome. That's not just you saying come in. That means that you have put things into place so that they can come in. You have put a ramp in place. You've put other things that are going to help them have the access to come in. That's what being welcomed means. Just opening the door and saying come in is not being welcomed. So when you go to a track, I love the track. It is a microcosm of society in every single way. When you come in there, that first level, the grandstand, that's, that's your people. Those are your people. Those are the best handicappers you are ever going to find. And they're different people from all different walks of life. But then when you go upstairs, stuff starts to change and go up another level. It really starts to change. And then when you get to the top level of a track, the only black people you will see are serving food. How is that still happening? Man, it's 2020. What are y'all doing? So we're at this stage now where everyone is, okay, how do we get diversity and inclusion in racing? I don't know. That's not my job. That's not my area. And just because I ask for it, doesn't mean I have to be the person with the plan. I'm not here for that. I'm here to express exactly how I feel, how I believe a lot of people who look like me feel. And my actionable, the thing that I'm trying to do, my actionable item, is only the thing that I can do. And what I can do is extend my hand to other black horse players and try to bring them in. So when I started this podcast nine episodes ago, my whole goal was to say, okay, I'm gonna have guests because I like a lot of people. I love a lot of people, different people from different walks of life. I wanna talk to them. But at the end of my show, I have Long Shot Lounge. And my whole goal was, I know that there are black horse players out there that can do this. So I found them and I brought them in. 
And what they did for me is offer me brotherhood. Brotherhood is so you don't feel alone. And so it's different than the brotherhood that I have with Matt Carruthers. That's my brother from another mother. That dude is awesome to me. He loves me, I love him. But that's different. It is different than the brotherhood that I now have with guys like Barry Spears and Leon Gordon Camps and Christopher Higgins. That's a different brotherhood. Those are men that deal with the exact same thing that I deal with every day. But they have an edge on me. Those men have more experience in horse racing than I do. And so I love talking to them about handicapping. But they also make me feel like I'm somewhere I belong. For 12 years, every time we went on the road at TVG, I am the only one. For 12 years. Anytime we went to Kentucky, what am I going to do, man? After four years, I stopped going out. I just went back to my hotel room, ordered room service, did my workout, handicapped for the next day. It's a really lonely experience. So here I come back after being gone for eight years, and I see that there's another individual of color who's doing racing on TV. And as I watched this person my first time, I'm like, that cat knows what he's talking about. He's a good handicapper. And I'm like, that's awesome. But when you're in this position, and so this person started and I was gone. So this person is the only one until I came back. You have to, sorry, I won't say have to because that's when people get all upset. I believe that you should try hard to make sure you're not the only one. How can you be happy as the only one? How can you be happy as a unicorn in a game that you know your people started? That you know there are people out there that can do this job. And so what the system does is it teaches black people that there's only room for one of you. And so when you are chosen and you are brought in, it's like, you're like, well, I don't want to lose my spot because they can only have one of us. Because they've set up an entire environment where there's, if there's more than one of us, I'm not kidding you. They think that we're going to buddy up and conspire against them. Or we're going to have a brotherhood understanding and appreciation and connection that is deeper than anything they could possibly imagine. And that's threatening. So with this individual, and I'm not going to say this person's name because that's not cool. I already called this person out on Twitter and that started a whole thing. But it's what I wanted to do. I wanted to draw that person out and hopefully bring them to us. So we could talk as black men about what we deal with in our life and what we deal with in this industry and how we can possibly do something together so that we're not the only ones. I'm also on the lookout for black women who want to play the races, 
who are really good handicappers, or at least just like it. But I'm telling you, horse racing has created an environment that is inhospitable to black people. I've heard so many stories talking to longtime journalists, authors, horsemen, and they'll tell me so many stories about these amazing black grooms or amazing black assistant trainers. And not one of those individuals ended up getting their own horses because the problem in the sport is the old money, the old white money. I call them all out. All of them. Mattress Mac, James McInville, you support everything that happens in horse racing. You're a major sponsor. And what you have come through to do for TVG has been incredible. The amount of money that you wager on the Houston Astros is astronomical. How have you not said anything about what's happening in this country? This is my point. Not one owner, not one prominent individual in horse racing has stepped up to say, you know what? This is not right. We got to find a way to be more inclusive and more diverse. They're not going to do it. And that's why I have no patience for you and I don't mince my words. I come straight at you and look you in the eye. And I always have. And I always will. Because to me, that's what being black means. It means I fight. When I was growing up, my father said to me, when somebody asks you, you stand up and say, I'm a black man. Because there's power in that. That's a political statement. Not African-American. If you would like to call me that, that's fine. But when I refer to myself, I'm a black man. And I'm an angry black man. Now, when that red light comes on and I do the show, man, I'm so happy because I love doing the show. I love talking about horse racing. I can't think of anything else that's more fun than sitting down with another person who loves it as much as you do. And then you get to talk about it on TV. Come on, man. That's awesome. Whether it's a man or a woman, I have the best time. And you can feel that because I love it because I learn every single time I sit down with my partners. I learn. And then when I get off that set and I see the world, I get angry again. I go and I see every other inner track show. Every other track has their own show in the country. And in every city, you're telling me there's no black people that would want to be a part of that. Come on, man. So my actionable item is I extend my hand to black people and I bring them into this circle. I don't care about scholarship programs. I don't care about whatever initiative you want to put forth from the NTRA or from the Breeders' Cup. I don't care. If you want to do that, great. What I want to do is confront you, each individual. If you're with us and you think that things should be better for all people, scratch that. If you think things should be better for black people, then come on with me and say yes. But don't tell me how to do it. Don't tell me how to feel. 
and don't ask me questions about it. Just listen to me and every other black person that you encounter. Just listen. Even when black people express certain things, that individual had a conversation. The individual that I mentioned, that's the other black person that does horse racing television. That person decided to go and defend their blackness. Okay. All right. If that's what you think you needed to do. Because, yeah, your purpose as a black man was questioned. Absolutely. Your intent as a black man was questioned. Absolutely. I feel like the proper response to that would be to show me. Show me what you want to do for us. Show me what you want to change for us. But that person doesn't have any brotherhood. That person doesn't want to be in the brotherhood. Okay. This is freedom and equality. That person doesn't have to. And that's okay with me. Because that's what I'm fighting for. Be you. Do what you want. I don't care. I just want us to find a way to be equal. And what I mean by being equal is this. I don't want a job. I don't want you to automatically go and hire a bunch of black people as a quota. That's ridiculous. I want you to open it up and you'll find people organically. Trust me. But you got to make the place a hospitable place that people want to come into. That black people want to stay there. And they feel respected and protected. Because as y'all know, the track, it can get pretty crazy. And so the equality for me means this. If you don't like me, fine. I don't like you. Now what? See, in the past, if I didn't like you, there was always a threat that that white person could come and do something to me or tell somebody something, and now I'm out of a job. But you cannot like me, and it's not a problem for you. So what I want is the equality of this. You can dislike me, I can dislike you, and we both get to go home at the end of the day. And as long as I don't threaten you and you don't threaten me and there's no physical contact, we're both fine. That's freedom. That's equality. I don't like a lot of you. I love the majority of you. But a lot of you I don't like. Because I know you don't respect and appreciate me and people who look like me. I guarantee you, I found four brothers who can handicap everybody I've ever met under the table. And they're black men. They will crush you. I have met some individuals from Jamaica that taught me more about racing in a 30-minute conversation than I learned in 12 years. They know this stuff. But you would never know it by what we show on the air. When I came back to TVG, I told management, this is ridiculous that you didn't even try 
to continue with diversity when I left. It's insulting. Now I'm back and you want to check off the boxes with me. No. Go get some more. It's not hard. It's all on you, horse racing. And even more importantly, it's on you, the patrons and the customers. You spend so much time complaining about takeout, complaining about jockeys, complaining about trainers who you think might be cheating and juicing. That stuff's valid. It's super valid. But then when the black guy that's next to you handicapping says, hey, I don't think that we're being inclusive here. You're like, what are you talking about? This is for everybody. I just want you to listen. You can't possibly know what our experience is. So just shut up and listen. That's all. But like I said on Twitter, this country was built for white people. So you have a, a privilege and an arrogance that makes you think that you can say something about everything. When the one thing you should never be talking about is how black people are treated in this country. You have nothing to add. Not one thing. Even if you are quote unquote on our side, you still have zero reason to speak. And don't take this as me telling you what to do. Don't take this as this black man is telling you what to do. Man, if you don't know that you shouldn't be speaking on how black people experience their lives, then you're a dummy. And what upset me about what happened on Twitter, I don't care if that other black man was upset with me. He can come to me. What bothered me the most is that it was other white men who brought it to his attention, not because they care about him, but because they wanted to see us get into it. Or more importantly, they wanted to see me get it. And that black man fell for that. He fell for that. And then he went on his show with another white man to talk about us. And I spoke to him. I said, look, if you're going to talk about race, it should be a bunch of people with you that are black so they can all share their perspective so that the people who are white who are listening maybe will say, oh, I didn't know that. But he sat there and let that white man frame the narrative for him. Why? Because he's not strong enough. I'm strong. I call myself untouchable. And what I mean by that is, they can fire me tomorrow. I don't care. I can get a job elsewhere doing other things. I have immense confidence in my abilities and my strength as an individual to overcome anything and just keep it moving. So when I came back to horse racing, this is my whole mentality. I'm coming to assert myself. I'm not the greatest handicapper and I don't care to be. I understand the game and I have a great time. What I'm trying to do is give you this feeling, this amazing, exhilarating, exciting feeling of figuring out this puzzle. It's a great, great pursuit. And I just want everyone to enjoy it. But it's hard to enjoy when you're treated like a second-class citizen or that you are invisible. 
That's where we are right now. People have reached out to me in a backhanded manner to talk about race and racing. I'm offended by that. I'm like, why wouldn't you come to me first? With all due respect, there's only one of me. Even if you don't like me, there's still only one of me. And you have to acknowledge that I was the only one. I was the first one you gave a chance to. So I wonder what my experience was. But no. All the white writers went to the things that were easy for them. And I don't like that either. Because they get to shape and frame the narrative of everything that happens. That's not fair. It's not accurate. It's not honest. And I'm not saying that white people can't report on it. That's not what I'm saying. Although I'm positive three jokers on Twitter will say that to me. That's fine. Because I don't care about what any of you say. If you want to engage with me, that's awesome. Because I'll talk. If you've met me at the track, you know I'm nice. I love people. I just want to talk to you and hang out with you. But if you say something to me that's offensive, I got to find a way to deal with that. An older white lady came to me one day at Hollywood Park. Listen to this. I just love you on the air. You're so nice. Thank you, ma'am. I really appreciate that. And the thing that's really impressive is you are so well-spoken. I said, yeah, well, you know, public schools. Every once in a while, they get it right. Now, a lot of you don't understand how insulting that is. It's insulting because that white lady knows that black people were denied the access to education. And she also knows there are other factors that take place within our community that sometimes make it difficult for us to focus on learning or even to have the access to learn. She knows that because she knows the country that she is in. She knows the system that was set up to benefit her. She's not stupid. She knows. That's why she says, I'm so impressed that you're well-spoken because they know. All of these things you've all known. This is the moment of reckoning. Not only in the country. Because what happens to a George Floyd only happens because the mentality and the ideas of the rest of the white world are, are let go. They're allowed to fester. Nobody ever looks at their white friend and says, hey, that's not cool. Even if you have a boardroom of 12 white men, how do you not stop and say, okay, wait a second. Are we thinking about everyone? It's called privilege. And you have it. I don't want your privilege. I just want to be equal and free. And I want to be able to live my life the same way you live yours. Where I can say and do what I want and as long as I'm not making inflammatory, threatening comments or threats or touching people, I'm good to go. But that's not what we have. That's what I'm looking for. You can come at me all you want to. You'll never be able to stop me. Even if I leave horse racing, I still get to be Ken fucking Rudolph everywhere I go. Horse racing, 
fans of horse racing, the owners in horse racing who hide, step up, stand up, do something. Oh, good luck and enjoy yourselves. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.